G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. With all of the developments around coronavirus, balancing the health of Australians with the livelihoods of people all over the nation, we know something for sure, that all is not well. We might be thankful for a relatively transparent government, democratically elected by the people, but it may be naive to expect everyone in power always has the best interests of vulnerable people at the heart of their decision-making. Emergency times call for emergency thinking, but decisions taken out of the normal democratic process are causing some to offer caution. Martin Niles from the Australian Christian Lobby, back with us once again. Martin, welcome back to 2020. G'day, Neil. Good to be with you again. Martin, things look pretty transparent here in Australia, but I imagine you can't always just be so trusting that you assume nothing could ever go wrong. Is there a time that we ought to be taking some caution right now? Oh, look, I think that uh, in a democratic country, one of the wonderful uh, benefits that we have is that we can always be vigilant, we can always speak up for our concerns, and we can always vote at the ballot box. And so long as that situation prevails, I think we are greatly blessed. Um, But of course, I think much uh, as we would with people, we're never naive about governments. Uh, You don't over-trust people you 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 take an advised and, and cautious approach and uh, you know you treat people for what they are which is fallible uh, although we have many great friends of course and we can we can have more trust or less trust depending on who the person is it's the same with the government i mean governments are very fallible governments are made up by many many different kinds of people some with great motives some with terrible motives uh, some with different ideological positions and so there's always just a cautionary principle uh, I think it would be foolish to think that they're all um, got wonderful intent and they're all wonderful people. That's not quite right. Uh, and so I think there's a balance to be found. Been a few conversations of recent times where there's been guests on this program uh, offering critique of some of the things the government's been doing and there's been a listener or two who've been concerned. You say pray for the Prime Minister or for the government and then critique the Prime Minister or the government. Sometimes there seems a bit of imbalance there, but I imagine that there is a necessity for us as Christian believers having a biblical view uh, to bring into the spotlight uh, things that are being done by governments at all levels, whether it's the federal government or the states. Oh, definitely. I mean, I go back to that democracy point. I mean, people say honour the government and then you sort of speak up to uh, advocate for something or even to criticise. And people say, well, that's not honouring the government. Well, actually, it is because the government has put in place an environment called democracy where it encourages that kind of thing. That's perfectly okay to do. That's part of the system we live in. Uh, And so, yes, we pray for them. Uh, Yes, we honour them and we, we obey them. Uh, but at the same time, we, we speak when we can, when, when we think it's an important issue. And I think particularly as Christians, 
Um, you know, there is a sense in which God has revealed to us what his purpose for governing authority is. That's in the Bible. And there is also a, a reality that God has revealed uh, his purposes for creation, his purposes for the world, and his moral standard. And so much of what governments do is about declaring what is right and what is wrong in the creation of laws. And, you know, God has revealed his perfect standard for right and wrong. And so Christians can have a voice for God in the nation, in the community, by speaking up for what is right and what is wrong and calling governments to account. And, of course, in a democratic scenario, you can convince others of the same, you can advocate for your position, and then you can be, you know, the salt of the earth. You can stop the decay by, uh, by ensuring that righteous governments continue to be elected and being a part of that process. So we're very, very blessed uh, in that respect. Uh, and so I think that's been a great safeguard in Western countries for many, many years against the kinds of corruption and instability that you see in other parts of the world, like uh, Africa and the Middle East, and, and even to some degree, you look at Latin America, you look at a country like Venezuela, that was riding so high and so prosperous and has crashed down into a terrible, terrible mess of, uh, of, communi- of socialism uh, and, and poverty. And, and even Argentina has had a rough run in recent decades compared to where it was. So, you know, in the West, we have been blessed with a certain stability, I think, because uh, of of course, Christian notions are out there and, and, and understood and well, well embraced, but also because we've been able to advance them freely in the public squares. Of course, when we talk the issue of freedom, as you say, this ability that we have to be able to advocate for our position, whether that be a political position or whether that be a Christian religious position, that's what freedom does, isn't it? It gives us an opportunity to speak our mind without the compulsion of government to be silenced. That's exactly right. And I think the only alternative to that is uh, is increasing tyranny, because if you don't have an opportunity to put opposing viewpoints, and if you don't have an opportunity to live your life in accordance with your convictions and your beliefs, then you're going to be coerced into doing it one particular way, which may be profoundly at odds with your convictions and your conscience and even with what God requires of you. Uh, and so it's so important to maintain freedom, because the alternative is literally tyranny. Uh, and uh, that's why uh, so many people have written and spoken at length over the decades and the centuries of how important it is to jealously safeguard freedom uh, and jealously promote freedom. And every time the government does something which you think that on principle is uh, bad for freedom, it's always a good idea to make that heard and make that known. And that's why, for example, around this uh, COVID safe tracing app, for example, there's been a lot of voices even within the government saying we've got to be careful about this. This is straying into unusual territory. This is straying into territory where you've got governments creating apps that are actually becoming about tracing people's movements. So that's not quite what the app does. It's much more benign than that. But nonetheless, the principle of the government stepping into that space, you know, you go, oh, hang on. At what point do we say, on principle, this is kind of becoming a bad idea? So that's why it's important to keep speaking up about these things. And, you know, I, I, I think that's really important. I imagine that you really walk a fine line sometimes, maintaining a level of trust, even speaking well of the government, but also taking that right and responsibility to when you see something that might even be an indicator of increasing tyranny. And as you say, as we've spoken over the last past couple of weeks about the app, the COVID-19 app, uh, which doesn't look on the face of it like it's something that 
really bolsters our freedom. It really actually creates something of a threat for some. And I know we won't get into that today, but, but this idea of walking the fine line, of being a supporter of the good things the government says, but being cautious about those things that might point to the abuse of power. Yeah, definitely. And I think for me, part of it's born out of my close interaction with government and government bodies uh, and just seeing how that um, the assumption that all is well and will remain well is a bit foolish sometimes. Uh, I've had uh, interactions, for, well, for example, I was having a meeting with somebody the other day and they were talking about the regulation of charity uh, and the various regulatory bodies. And there's several of them that a group like us would be subject to. And they said, of course, we know that the system doesn't work because nobody ever gets regulated. I said, well, we've been regulated half a dozen times in the last couple of years. We've been investigated and asked to produce all this material and then, you know, I said, look, open your books to us, open your board minutes and all this kind of thing and gone through these onerous processes. And he looked at me and blinked and said, you're kidding. He said, that's so unusual. But this is what groups like ACL expect. We do, in fact, get... Uh, we do in fact get a little bit of the uh, raw end of the deal sometimes because we advocate for things that are reasonably controversial in the eyes of many who are in power who would rather that we didn't exist. And so they sometimes abuse their power. They sometimes uh, investigate us when there's really no real cause to do so or do so too much. In the same way, um, you know, we've had events down in Victoria and again, there's people in places of power in Victoria who don't like what we stand for, and they have power. So they've got a conflicting ideology, and they're in very powerful positions. And one of the things I exposed on an episode of The Truth of It a while ago was how that the Victorian police simply stopped helping us uh, for our events down there, where we would have violent protesters show up, and the Victorian police wouldn't provide us with any support anymore. Uh, and when we went to speak to them about this problem and just how bad it was, I mean, it's pretty alienating and, and, uh, and sad when that happens to you. Uh, they threatened to charge our people with assault because they had to push through the crowds to get to the front door. And that's the kind of treatment we got and sent packing. And I have these interactions with government authorities and it leaves you feeling a bit cold sometimes. And you go, wow, you know, you forget that actually if you get a lot of people in a position of power who are ideologically against you, uh, you know, Things can start to happen which shock you. Uh, and I've seen that too many times. I've just given you two examples, but I've seen it a range of times. And so it's so important that we continue to use the democratic freedom that we have to continue to raise a voice for these freedoms. Because, as I said, the alternative is a kind of tyranny, which, you know, if even in those small examples leave you feeling a bit cold and marginalised, you can imagine how Christians and others have felt under real tyranny in the past. So... We always must advance the cause of freedom. And I'm not saying Australia is going to become tyrannical anytime soon, but small, slow changes can make life harder and can set precedents that make it easier for governments of the future to do the wrong thing. And, and that's just the reality of power, unfortunately. You know, when people have it, they will use it, um, and they will use it in accordance with their ideological convictions. So we look at those issues around political actions and they could be across a broad spectrum of issues and when there is investigation and we've noted there's been investigations not only into yourselves but into other arms of the media and when they are without due cause that becomes intimidating and that intimidation really is like a first step towards some sort of authoritarianism and so you've got to be able to identify these things in their early stages martin absolutely you've got to be able to identify them in their early stages and you know none of these things happen overnight 
these things happen slowly. I think it's a quote from Yes Minister where they talk about what they call salami tactics, one slice at a time. Uh, and this is the nature of public policy and changes in culture and government. It happens slice by slice, you know, one little bit here, one little bit there. And over time, you find yourself being backed into a corner. And that's why when the government comes out and they just make a general announcement like, we're going to create a tracing app. And you go, well, that sounds a bit worrying. And you don't just put your blind trust in that process because you think to yourself, look, this may be fine. I don't mind if, you know, Scott Morrison's government uh, is interested in putting out some, you know, let me rephrase it. I might be happy with um, giving some of my personal information to Scott Morrison's government because I think they're basically trustworthy. I support their ambitions. You know, I'm in a situation here where it's not a big problem for me. I've got nothing to hide. But I always say, think about it on, on the basis of principle. What if the government was someone who was ideologically opposed to you? Uh, and what if the government was someone who you didn't trust? Would you still be happy for them to do this? Or would you still be happy for them to start moving in this direction? And if the answer is no, then stop and think. Because these things are always incremental. They're always, you know, one, one, one bit at a time. And here's the other thing. Governments change regularly and they can change significantly particularly in the volatile times in which we live, in which lots of people are quite disenfranchised, particularly young people with governing authority, and they'll vote for all sorts of people. Uh, And you can see significant changes in a very short period of time, in a single generation or even in five years or ten years. And, of course, if you cast your eyes over the seas, no doubt there are examples of where these things have escalated into some significant authoritarianism. Or, uh, I mean, you take those examples that you might see out of China, where it's not just about uh, tracing people for COVID-19, but uh, where surveillance is part of regular everyday life, where facial identification knows your every movement and can control the population. Uh, Those are the sorts of things that you must be on guard for, no doubt. Yes, exactly. And some of those things also happen very slowly. I mean, for example, uh, the government uh, a few years ago passed legislation here in Australia to collect metadata, which is certain information about how you use the internet and various your phone and various other things. And they, they passed legislation to collect this data. It was very controversial at the time. But of course, they said, look, for heaven's sake, you know, we're not living in China. This is not going to be abused, et cetera, et cetera. It turns out that actually um, the uh, federal police uh, accessed metadata something like 23,000 times uh, in a very short period shortly thereafter, and this was supposed to be something only accessed on extraordinary grounds. And also it's turned out that some of the state police forces have been able to access some of this information uh, without proper authorization thousands of times. And here's the thing. Once the information's there... It's too irresistible not to use. I mean, if you're, if you're running an investigation, you think, gee, that metadata would be handy. Uh, you know, you're going to try and get it because it's there. Uh, and, and, and that's something that just happens incrementally. That now changes the way we think about what, what metadata should be used for completely. We've just entered a new cultural paradigm. It's a very small thing. But you can think by the same token, if you have lots of CCTV surveillance, if you have lots of, you know, all this kind of stuff going on, the information is there to be used. It will be used. And also, when you think of something like an app, if there's not proper legislation to delete that data after the app is past its lifespan, or if it's stored somewhere on a server that's not perfectly secure, that's valuable data. Someone's going to want it. Someone will get it. Uh, And that's why you just need to be careful about these things, because uh, if it's there, it will be used. If it's available to be taken, it will be taken. Uh, And, you know, we might not be China tomorrow, and I'm not suggesting we could ever be China. I mean, maybe we could. Who knows? This is 
long periods of time, massive changes take place right across the globe. Uh, but, uh, you know, we can inch our way towards a situation that uh, is less freedom-loving is, uh, and, is, and is closer to some of those regimes that we've talked about. And uh, I think that's just a, uh, that would be a really, really sad thing to see that happen over the course of years in a country like ours, which is so free and such a wonderful, it's been such a wonderful blessing. As Christians, we'll often make a reference to, say, Romans chapter 13, the Christians call to honour and even submit to the government. But I imagine that if you take everything at face value, put full trust in everything the government does, and these things begin to creep in, as you say, incrementally, uh, it's probably, and I'll get your thoughts here, the idea of actually helping government to remain contained and keeping people free is better than having to try and remedy the situation and having to then call for civil disobedience if the government goes too far. I imagine that, you know, again, nipping it in the bud is the best place to start. Oh, absolutely. And it's the best place to start for two reasons. It's the best place to start, you know, on a self-interested basis, which is that, you know, we, we, we really would love to live free lives. Paul, the Apostle Paul says, you know, pray uh, that we would lead peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness. That's what he says, pray for those who are in authorities. It's for this outcome, that we would live those peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness. He's saying, you know, please, ask for that. And of course, he would have been crying that out from his heart, because they were living under a totalitarian government of sorts uh, in ancient Rome. They didn't have any democratic rights. Uh, he was facing opposition from authorities everywhere he went. And he's saying, you know, have this prayer, you know, that this would be our life. But of course, there was another reason for it as well. It wasn't just about him and about the Christians. It was about their community. It was about their world, because he said, because you know what? God desires all people everywhere to come to a knowledge of the truth and be saved. If you just read the very next line. And what he's saying there is, if my life is free, to be lived in godliness, and here he is an evangelist of the gospel. And if your life is free as a Christian, to be a Christian testimony, uh, and to be able to do that fully without fear, uh, do you know what's going to happen? The truth is going to be spread through you and through me and through the Church of Jesus Christ. And in the spreading of the truth, many people will come to know it. And that's a great thing. So we're not people who desire persecution. We're not people who desire lost freedoms. We're people who desire, as Paul says, peace and the building up of God's people in peace in godliness and therefore the spreading of the truth. That's the perfect situation to be in. Uh, and, uh, you know, if we have been given the gift of being able to advocate for that, which we have in democracy, we should, you know, really not be negligent in making sure that we do so, because there's uh, such a tremendous fruit to be born uh, in a free society where the name of Jesus Christ can be proclaimed and lived and witnessed to fully and without hindrance. Well, beyond the COVID-19 crisis, undoubtedly the government will get back to its usual agenda and the freedom debate will be flourishing one more time and perhaps they'll get there to a point where they are really discussing and then voting on our religious freedom. So every action of the government draws into question issues of trust because we're concerned about the way the government might go. We're talking even things like using terminology like totalitarian or dictatorship or authoritarianism. For a lot of people, that's very disturbing because we've not been used to that idea. We can see the examples overseas, but we're not used to thinking about those sorts of terms in Australian society. Martin Niles, let me point people to the Australian Christian Lobby website 
And uh, just honour to you and the team at Australian Christian Lobby as champions of freedom and playing a big role when it comes to issues of religious freedom. And we know that means freedom of speech, freedom of association, freedom of conscience, freedom of political communication and freedom for academic people to be able to put their perspective without being contained by government regulation. ACL.org.au. That's the Australian Christian Lobby website. Undoubtedly, the ACL continues to need some more friends and partners, people who'll pray, people who'll financially support. Uh, Martin Isles, thank you so much for taking some time to update us once again today on 2020. Thank you, Neil. That's always my pleasure. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.